Hello, hello, and welcome back to Shoutbox. It is June, and so much has happened since the last time we had a chance to catch up. We're still under a pandemic, but we've also seen a great deal of violence and a great deal of rising up against. It's really hard to have to see some of the things that we've seen, but really great to see this country really standing up to police violence and standing up for black rights and standing up for trans rights. It's Pride this month, and there's so much going on. It just feels like this is the longest year in history. But we've had a great opportunity to bring a guest in today to talk about arts that are going on right now, and particularly dance, and to talk about some of the things that I think we're all missing as a part of this sort of a schism of wanting to be together, and in cases like this, really wanting to protest and wanting to be there, wanting to make art with each other to talk about what's going on, but also not necessarily being able to because of the pandemic. And this idea of not being able to touch or not being able to be around each other, but needing to is really hard to deal with as an artist, as a performer. I really want to bring on Craig V. Miller, who is a Chicago area dancer, choreographer, performer, who's contributed a lot to dance in the parks in Chicago, as well as other things. And uh, Craig, welcome to the show. Hey, hey, how you doing? <laughs> it's great to hear your voice, Craig. <laughs> well, it's always great to hear your voice, Chris. So glad to be here. Thanks for joining us. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about your background, Craig. I know you through a friend of ours, Robert McKee, who's a phenomenal person himself. He runs our Inside Dance in Chicago. But I know that you spent a lot of time with Dance in the Parks. Talk to me a little bit about that and talk to me about your background. I'm originally from Detroit, Michigan. I got my BFA in dance performance from Oakland University in 2009. I came out to Chicago and it'll actually be 10 years in July. Oh, congratulations. Thank you so much. I guess I'm officially a Chicagoan. I think that's those are the rules <laughs> 10 years and you're in. Yeah. And so I actually started dancing with Inside Chicago Dance. I did two seasons with them and I've also danced for Chicago Repertory Ballet, Esoteric Dance Project, The Seldoms. Ruth Page Nutcracker. So I've been around the block, you know. <laughs> but the longest dance company I've been with is uh, Dance in the Parks. I recently retired from them, and this is the company that really has been my company because I've been with them for so long. And I love that program because it's when they take dance to the people out in the parks, and it's free for the public. Such an amazing experience to work with Katie McCann, who's the artistic director of there. Outside of performance, I also am a choreographer. So I've worked with Porchlight Music Theater on Billy Elliot, also Ain't Mr. Haven, and as well as Mercury Theater with the color purple. I choreographed performance of Rent for a fundraiser, and I've taught for about 17 years all over Chicagoland area and back home in Michigan. I had no idea that you had been so involved with so many companies in town. That's really phenomenal. I love hearing this idea of taking dance to the people, too. Yes. How did that manifest in your work? Does that idea of publicly engaged outdoor space per performances affect how you design work? Oh, yeah, totally. Especially because of how the stage is set up. It's not a large stage, and there's about seven or eight on the stage, which is like pushing it. But it's very different because, one, it's outside during the daytime. So there's no lighting. So you really can't, as a choreographer, really create a mood that way. Right. And there's just a railing in the back. So it's kind of a 360 dance experience. So even if we're at a park in the middle of a neighborhood, people will just come outside on their stoop to watch us. They wouldn't necessarily be in the audience. That's so cool. 
Yeah, it's so super cool. It's so dope. And in terms of like as a choreographer, when I set my piece last year, I really had to think about that being 360. And I think I actually had a little more of an advantage because a lot of choreographers never really work in this way. So it's kind of like, oh... We don't have lights. People can see us even if we face the back. So it's kind of a way to really just be aware of everyone being able to see you. But as a dancer performing, it it really was a life-changing experience. It was one of my most favorite things to do. It's so weird for me not to do it this summer. It's the first time in years that I have not done it. You know, you get to see people's faces. You get to see children run around and really be engaged with the dance and the music. And, you know, the reach is far and wide. So we go way on the west side. We go super down south, like in the hundreds. So to see people who have never experienced dance before in a concert setting, not on a TV, where it's like more acrobatic, I guess, is more more tricky. In a competitive setting, we're just dancing and performing for each other. It really was life-changing. It, it made me see humanity. It made me see art really does change change lives because we've had you know people who have come every year to the parks when they're comments like i love this is my favorite time of the year it's come to see you guys every year so it was really great that's beautiful I, I love hearing that so much of what i enjoy out of the world is stumbling across even a public performance or something you know it, it's such a treasure when you just get to stop for a moment and see someone performing music or something like that is one of the energies that being in a big city like chicago can really bring without worry for financial situation without worry for you know, a lot of these other right. factors there it's just there and it's free and it's love you know <laughs> yeah because it's a barrier money is a barrier for sure just how your entertainment costs and i feel like especially because of what's been going on with the pandemic and how artists everywhere no one's getting anything like i had a bunch of friends who were on cruise ships that had to come home unexpectedly one friend just literally just got on the boat it's really interesting to see how much people would want to spend on it if they have it but now that there's kind of like a, a downshift in people really spending money for art, except for like Netflix, something like that. Like, I'm really interested to see where the industry is going to go from here, especially for dance. Because, you know, you can buy a movie. You can buy a record. You have to experience dance. You have to see it. It has to be in front of your face. It has to be a whole thing. Sure, there's like things like Marquee TV that have made dance more accessible. Then we talk about the equity on the back end of that and how that affects the rest of the community and what that looks like. Because even if that company might get some money from their residuals or even like the choreographer, but what about the dancers? So I'm really interested to see how the industry is going to recover and what innovation is going to be coming out. I'm really interested to see what Dancers Parks is going to do for this summer because their season is still, they're still planning to go for it. Everyone is experiencing a change in the, in the way that they experience the world right now. How has this been like to you as a performer? I mean, just starting off financially, how has this you know affected you and other dancers you know? Well, from my personal story, at the time the pandemic started, I, I wasn't teaching anywhere regularly. I was just sub, but Chicago is a fairly large city. So I was pretty consistently working as a sub at least two, three times a week. Um, and I also was working with the catering company fake catering and we were actually kind of consistent where normally we would be kind of dead in the winter time it was a really interesting time and when everything hit of course teachers are now available to teach their classes so that means that line of work was gone for me and then in the beginning of march the catering company i worked for for about eight years they closed they doors <sighs> for good so i was just out here and you know to be honest not to make super light of it but like there's just a couple months where i was just holding on holding on to black jesus like for real just like okay right. well <laughs> well okay mm-hmm and like I had like a whole rent strike with my building because it's a small building full of artists. And that was a failed attempt. And then I wanted to get my stimulus check. 
which was great. But that only was like, you know, just rent and bills. And it was like, like a magic chicken was gone. But fairly recently, <laughs> I, it was just like, it's just like, oh, great. That's gone. Living in a big city like this, you know, like it just, it takes 2.5 seconds to spend that money. That, 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 yeah, that money could go just in, in laundry. <laughs> yeah, hello? <laughs> like for real. Luckily, I applied for unemployment. I was denied because I was actually a 1099 worker at my catering company. So I wasn't an employee, but I did get the pandemic unemployment assistance. And I got that a couple of weeks ago, but I got back pay, which is great. On the flip oh, side of awesome. that, because I was able to just recently get out of debt. Hey, debt free, debt free in the South in the thirties. I mean, I'm a catch, right? Um, so So it's kind of and i was really talking to a friend of mine and i was like it's such an interesting experience for me uh because i've always worked like i probably could have been on assistance a couple times in my career for sure because that dance life is hard but i've always worked but worked super hard working seven hour days and especially in the summertime i'm like my last this past summer i was insanely busy i had Dance in the parks from May until July. I was teaching an intensive. I was running another program with Ruth Page. And I was working my catering gigs on the weekend or in the in between the time. So I was working seven days a week, sometimes 10, 12 hours. So catering isn't a joke either. Like it's a very laborious job. Heck yeah. Which I like yeah. it. And you're on your physical. feet the whole time. And you're on your feet. You know, I would clock, you know, eight miles in a building in a night, you know. So for me, like working so much and I'm getting more money than I ever may ever made as an adult and it's like but i'm not doing nothing and that's weird and it's also weird too how from my perspective as a black man to be like so the system in place that has kept me oppressed is actually giving me money it actually helped me out of the other oppressive systems like credit that okay cool we're gonna circle back on that later because i don't know how to <laughs> you know i don't know how to process all that it's very much so like huh interesting so i mean that's really been my experience as far as other dancers I know. A lot of my friends have been able to teach via Zoom and things like that. So no one's super out of work. And, you know, dancers are like, you know, the original hustlers as far as the arts, you know. Oh, God, so yes. yeah. everybody got 50, 11 jobs. You know, a lot of my friends teach <laughs> yoga. You know, it's always like you can't have one job. You got to have five. Like you just because you just never know. Hence. So like a lot of my friends teach yoga or they are personal trainers. So it's been nice that these virtual platforms have already been available for people to make money. And me on the flip side of that, because since I was going through this whole retirement year, I was like, well, I'm just going to work then until I figure out what exactly I want to do. So I'm just going to work and then we'll figure it out, come circle back. And so I've had a lot of time to really just be reflective and be by right. myself. My former roommate, he worked at Trader Joe's, so he was always gone. So I always had the house to myself. And so I was able to really get quiet and really, you know, ask myself the big question, which is like, you know, and my question was to myself was like, you know, what, if you didn't have to get paid for it, what would you do for free? And the answer I came back to me was helping people. And I recently started doing tarot cards until our readings, I just kind of dabbled in it for a while and just doing it for friends, you know, for practice or whatever. But then it kind of just has begun to pick up. And then I was like, you know what? Well, I'm not doing nothing. So I might as well start a YouTube channel. So I started a YouTube channel to do that. Um, but I've gotten, you know, responses and a couple clients out of that experience. So, you know, nice. I'm kind of just reframing what I have to do. And it's kind of nice, actually, to know that I have financial security and I don't have to kill myself to do it. And it's a very interesting experience to 
have that option and also just be like, so what am I doing today? What do I need to do? Because I've always, as a dancer, you're always in a regimented schedule. I had to be here, 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 here. And I make my own schedule, like for real, for real. So I'm like, it's been a really interesting experience in terms of personal growth too, to kind of just figure out how I want to exist going forward in my life and how I want to run my business. But the thing that just Mm -hmm. shocks me is how hard people have to work to get paid to do this amazing work. You know, you're, you're putting in 40, 50, 60 hours a week. And when you were able to get paid, were you able to get by or? Well, here, I mean, I'm going to just keep, I'm just going to say it. So the reality is in terms of the entertainment industry and in, ter- and in terms of the dance sector of it, concert dance is the lowest paid dance rate ever. Part of that has to do with the fact that dance companies are nonprofit organizations. So it's their income is ticket sales and doing summer intensives, things of that nature. So, you know, it's hard to pay eight to 10 people well to put on the show because it's still a business. We're still, in, we're still in show business. But then at the high end, you can do a cute little commercial that runs for about a year or so. You get residuals, you can do a movie, you can do tons of music videos, which these are videos, depending on that, don't really pay that much either. But you get exposure, you know, and like all of those kind of things. So, yeah. oh, exposure. Fuck exposure. you, exposure. I know. Because <laughs> it's like, I was in Beyonce's video. I was like, were you in the front? Otherwise, it doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? It's like, great, good for you. I don't know. I still don't know who you are. Getting paid as a dancer, I've always struggled to make ends meet. And the thing about it, too, is when I first moved here, my car got stolen and it was uninsured. So then it like ruined my life. So there's no kind of way to navigate real life and have something bad happen. You know, I have tons of friends. I have one friend who has epilepsy and they had a couple episodes and had to do, you know, go in an ambulance. And they're like, that was a couple years ago. And they're like, I just paid off my first medical bill. So the majority of the money, you know, comes from schools. It comes from, from children. Children are the future for real. And especially in the arts, it's always children keep feeding you. So I've gotten paid quite well as a teacher, it's something I had to kind of work out to. I think when I started, I was making about 20 bucks an hour. Like right now I get like 60, 65, but like, they're like, Ooh, you balling. Okay. But let's think about that. Cause I'm not getting paid. If I only teach 10 one hour classes a week, that's only 200 bucks a week. It's like, we get paid like we're lawyers, but we don't actually get to charge like we're lawyers. So you can be 60 bucks an hour, but you're not like your office hours don't get paid recital you might not get paid competitions if you're in a competitive school don't you don't get paid then you know but you're still using your gas your time your energy i've had friends who have bedazzled costumes for their children not getting paid so it's very much so like it's a very labor intensive kind of reality and you know and it always goes back to like well we do it for the love which after a while like i'm like love need to pay me though like you need to st- love if you love me you pay me but it's like well i can't because i don't have the money so then where do you go there's a similar analogy that you have someone who is at the top of their craft a painter or an illustrator or you know something like this who in 10 minutes can do a photo real likeness of someone so here i, I should be paid 1200 dollars for this and they're like why mm-hmm. should i pay you 1200 it took you 10 minutes so i was like yes but it took me 20 years to get to this point i'm trying to recoup all the effort and investment i made into this and people look at you like you're you're an alien like you got three heads or something like that you mm-hmm. are a seasoned dance professional you're able to teach others on 
on this. You might get paid you know, $65 an hour for this class, but you're putting seven hours of prep into that class. <laughs> right. So it's yeah. it's just kind of shocking, but that's that's my rant about the arts being heavily underpaid. <laughs> yeah, and it's the thing about it is, too, I think it's just it's systemic. It's structural. You know, I have no desire to run a dance company. I have no desire to, you know, run a theater company. And not to say that, like, I don't love to do those things. To me, I'm just like, why can't they be for profit? Like, I still don't understand the reasoning behind why that's better. You're fighting with both hands behind your back. It's like, you're trying to make art. You're trying to rent rehearsal space. You're trying to rent this, do this, do this. And then it's just like, you can't, but you can't, as an entity, generate income for yourself, like a regular business. I've been on several different kinds of things that I'm trying to venture out into doing this new kind of business and be a business-minded person. And there's everything that everybody's like, like talks or like, you know, coachings or whatever. And I'm just like, I'm listening, I'm sitting here at this information. I'm just like, one, that's not available to us as artists, unless you, unless you go back to school for arts administration, to be clear, or which is money out your pocket. And also like these rules don't apply to us. They're like, oh, it's applicable to everybody, like doing like YouTube stuff and like I'm talking about these kind of trainings. And I'm just like, um, actually, that part makes sense to me, but I still don't understand. I don't know how to remix it for myself. You know what I mean? And no one can help you because it's business and arts are so far removed from each other. We're in Chicago. I've been here for 10 years. There's 50% less dance companies here than when I moved here. Companies who have been around for decades and people aren't handling things behind the scenes and they crumble and it happens time and time again. So there's just a lack of education and knowledge from both sides. You know, like you can be a super artist, but you also need to be business minded. And then when they bring business people in, they have to be arts minded people because the two things are symbiotic then then coexist. Does that make sense? Like they feed each other like they don't just yin and yang it and like you make help it have them make it work that makes sense that analogy you have to be able to have business acumen as well as artistic knowledge and integrity because the communities are two different things and they can work together there has been success it's been proven but you know like everybody's not elvin ailey everyone's not martha graham everyone's not paul taylor people have to want to invest in the arts to make it pop too and that's the thing that is really kind of lacking and that so it's a it's a whole thing that kind of like cycles and then, you know, the best way to be successful as a dancer is to own a dance studio and luckily have good business acumen is to be a teacher or a choreographer and hope that people pay you, you know, as a dancer, as a dancing body, as the paintbrush, as the canvas. If you expect to retire balling, I hope you had a really good agent and I hope he was in a couple movies because otherwise it's just not going to happen for you. And so then like, you're in your mid thirties, like I am, and I'm uh, being like, "Well, I retire, but I still have to work. I have no pension or unemployment." Okay, great. What are we going to do now? And I'm like, I'm sixty, and like I'm, I can chill. And people, my mom is always like, "You need to like put money away." I'm like, "How can I put money away when I, all of my money, all of it, there's not nothing to spare, is <laughs> going for me to be alive." And to live like somewhat like a human being. It's a very like a, a ceiling. And I don't know what really the the answer to that is. The systemic issues we have as a society right now manifest all over the place. 
artists in general tend to not be paid well for their efforts. That's that's a given. Mm-hmm. Dancers in particular, and to your point, the concert dancers in particular, are hard for people to be able to, to quantify. It's not like someone can buy a dance from you for 20 bucks or 30 bucks and bring it home and, and then own that piece. And you can do that a thousand times, you know, mm-hmm. it's the, the, the experience is that evening. So they, they can buy a ticket. That's a start, but you mm-hmm. have a limited audience, then limited reach. Learning how to understand and appreciate experience is one thing, but also realizing how important to humanity these physical experiences and these expressions are. We're visual creatures, but we're also very sensorial creatures. And being able to witness that dance and being able to have your life change or be brought to tears by a dance and to feel those things is as powerful as any other art form, if not more so, because of the authenticity of the of the instrument, of the human body. Who would you put as the pinnacle of dance in your eyes? I really have to say that Misty Copeland, and not because she's just like in the zeitgeist all the way and like has done so many things for ballet and blah, 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 other things that are great about her. I've seen her dance, Romeo and Juliet. She played the role of Juliet. And I was like, I was like, oh, she's acting. I was like, oh, she's, she's doing it. She's doing the thing. Cause I feel like it was the most visceral human performance of dance I had seen in a very, very long time, especially in this day and age of dance where everyone just wants to be sad or no facial expression. I feel like she is one of the ones in a contemporary setting. And then going old school for me is iconic ballerina Sylvie Geem. She danced with Williams Forsyth for several years and just an amazing artist. So those would be the two that stick out to me. The reason why I brought this up is if you were a basketball player, not everyone should have to be Michael Jordan to make a a living, you know, and Michael Jordan was such a pinnacle. Not everyone should have to be a Misty Copeland just to be able to live well. I mean, that most artists Mm -hmm. would be very content to just live well, to just be able to afford good housing. And and if they wanted to raise a family to do that, to to have a car, Mm -hmm, to have mm -hmm. health insurance, this like minimum level of comfort that most artists you know, are barely able to maintain, but they're content with that. And content is fine, but if you have to fight for that. What's fascinating about this too is that there are many practitioners in the arts that are very talented. Mm -hmm. I'm not knocking talent, but there are many practitioners that are able to do this more and able to have it be a quote-unquote profession because they don't need to make money to do it. Their ability to be an artist is able to be assisted by those around you. And if you don't have that safety net, which large swaths of our population do not have any level of that safety net, Mm -hmm. you really start to see that that inequity manifest in this case. And and one of the things that... to, you know, to just say this out loud, there's a lot of extremely talented, extremely gifted black women in dance. I don't see them anywhere as much as I would like to, as much as I think would be appropriate to their talent level. I mean, I've trained with these women. Another thing about like pursuing a professional career as a teenager, young adult, is that you train and you train and you train and you go here, you go overseas train. If you're a little girl, because girls are more expensive just for dance in general. Like if you're danced from the age of three to high school, 18, and let's say you go off to college and even say you get your master's, right? You're about with your parents' money and yours, like um, about a million dollar investment. But then, okay, I, I'm educated. I'm well-trained. And then you audition and you don't get hired. I know super fierce girls in New York City well, I mean, dance with the best. And it's like, and that's also like a career thing too. Like you could be real hot for a second and then nobody wants to hire you. That's a whole other layer to why money can be inconsistent too. Cause you got to wait for someone to say yes to you. And a lot of times, you know, 
I think for me, it's terms of like my basis in jazz dance and we're in Chicago jazz, it's jazz dance city. Like there's hardly any black women in jazz dance, like at all. They're trained in it yeah. just like everybody else. And so, you know, if you don't see yourself, how are you supposed to know you're supposed to, you, you're welcome there. That's how I look at it as, for, as a person of color, as a black man. Like, if I don't see myself, then why should I go? To not only see it, but be in it. Black women need to be represented. And they, they exist. <laughs> they're not unicorns. And they're brilliant. I would say that there are likely larger populations of black and dancers of color in the city than there are their white counterparts. But the representation is completely skewed the other direction. There are a lot of mediocre accountants crunching numbers and still make a living and still feed their family and, and still have a car and still take a week's vacation and live their life and die and it's all good. They don't have to fight for every penny. It's being aware of the problem and having a solution is, is two different things. You know, I don't have a yes. solution for that. <laughs> yes. Honestly, I feel like the solution it has to be a communal solution. We should not just have one person make that. And I feel like sometimes of just how things are set up, like there's a clear leader and it's like, okay, so you make the decisions. It should be like, okay, I think more of a, ooh, like a socialist kind of thing to kind of be like, because all the voices need to be heard. Should we have representatives? All the people be heard and then let's come together and make a plan for everyone to be happy. Because the whole imbalance of power was just the structure of how it is. It's like, well, we only have access to this. Like, I didn't even know going into college for dance that I could be a director. I was like, oh. I thought you had to go to film school or, you know, be in theater to kind of, I'm like, no, it still counts. And I'm like, oh yeah, Debbie Allen. You know what I'm saying? It's also having access to knowledge. Oh, I love Debbie Allen. She isn't she <laughs> Queen Mother. She uh, oh she she slays me. She's so amazing. She's the best. I wanted to meet her so bad. I want to meet her so bad. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah so if you don't I, know I, I fangirl after her. As, as you should. It's rightfully so. Yeah. <laughs> One of the themes of this season of Shoutbox is this idea of making space. Mm -hmm. You know, even my realization is just how critical it is to your own identity, to my own identity, to be able to have the space to be the things that I actually am for, mm -hmm. for those people who to, to to live your life as you actually are, to, mm -hmm. to embrace the things that you bring to the table, and to have a space to do it, not have to be fighting for that space all the time. Not that you shouldn't fight for it, but not that you should, but you shouldn't have to. Right. We need to make space for voices different than ours is a solution. Yes. We're not trying to, to find some way to fix a quota. What we're trying to do is realize that there are ideas that are different than ours that w combined together do wonderful things for the human you know, human solution, you know, and it really allows us to work together. One of the hardest parts about all this is this lack of being able to have space to perform mm -hmm. together. Yes. You know, I was curious how that's been hitting you. Me personally, I actually haven't missed the stage. For me personally, I'm going to just like, mm, okay, like I still, of course, I still like do a little class or whatever and like twirl around my apartment. Great. But I can say from, <laughs> from an observer of the dance community, from like a social media standpoint, there was just a lot of TikToks and things like that because people were just really kind of finding what to do with themselves. Because like I said earlier, since we're in this like regimented lifestyle and now you have all this time, you know, what are you going to do? And I honestly, you know, my impression of that really was like, well, y'all need to sit down. Honestly, I was like, y'all need to, okay, we need to take a second and take a beat, get still and get quiet. 
because if you're in a profession where like you're constantly in contact with people, you're constantly touching people, having autonomy to, of your own body in a different kind of way that you probably never had before. I think it's something to be adjusted to and to really be able to appreciate the body. I mean, because people have been successful, you know, doing dances with the camera and being online. So I personally don't feel like, to me, from the outside looking in, like people really miss that. Because the only real thing is like, if you show a relationship or if you're doing partnering and people still are lifting and partnering, for what I can tell, I try not to, I've been staying off of it a little bit too much because there's a lot going on. I can't really do too much. But um, part of being artists, one, being creative, and two, dancers being the hustler, you know, they got that creative creativity and that hustle. Like, well, we go figure out a way to make this happen. And people are doing it. It's a very different experience. But I mean, Dance with the Camera has been around about 15 years in it, different iterations. So now I think the technology has been actually here, really ready to support people in their creations of work. We have iPhones now, you know, so I don't feel like to me, I've seen an influx of content from people. It's just not that same experience. And I, I think um, for dance in the parks, I know they're doing quite a do new different things in a virtual setting. And they're still trying to figure out what's going on in the parks. I really can't speak to that because I really don't know. I actually have liked this time to be autonomous. I've actually like this time to not feel pressure for my body to look a certain way because that's a part of my job description. I can actually let myself quote unquote go, which, I, which I'm a pretty muscular person. So that's only, you know, you know, theoretical, but I mean, and like, or to like craft my own body to like, you know, figure out what kind of schedule I like. So I mean, personally as an art maker, it's just about, I feel like everyone needed a second to actually experience life because you can't make anything if you, if that's, if this is your life. And I remember just being so cre creatively stifled towards the end of my performing career. Cause I'm just, but I'm like, I don't do nothing. This is all I do. Like I go, I'm in the studio around people. I'm in a rehearsal space around people. I'm making other worlds great. But then like, if I want to come up with something, I'm like, I, I don't have nothing. Cause I haven't lived. I haven't taken time live so i feel like if anything i think that's why that that kind of surge of creative energy has happened online but also people have had a chance to like retreat to actually like oh well i'm you know what my friend has a cabin in the mountains i live in new york city so i'm gonna be in the mountains for a couple months and i'm gonna look at some trees and be around some some real water like to actually live in the world and not in this, you know, rat race matrix kind of situation that, especially if you live in a big city as an artist, as a person really, but really definitely as an artist brings more human experience and learning and then more self-awareness too, because you got to know yourself a little bit to be an artist or at least know what you do or don't want to be. Me personally, I really felt like this break has been really good. This respite to really kind of look back and reassess one's life, especially if you're over the age of 25. And I feel like people still have found ways to express themselves because we have cameras in our hands. They can still get their work out. And some people have found, have discovered things about themselves. People going back to school to do more things. So I, I think it's been, I think it's been pretty good. And, you know, we'll see what happens come the fall and what that's going to look like for people, what's going to be around who survives. But, 
that's kind of just really my take on that. Very insightful. As we touched on earlier in the program, that idea of being able to connect with yourself right now, in the end, you are your most important human. Being able to, to talk to yourself and figure out what you are and, and you know what, we're, what you need to do is what you should be doing right now. Really a strong point, well taken. Craig, this has been phenomenal. You know, I, I know people would probably be really fascinated to see some of your tarot. Uh, so where can they find you'll find this or reach out to you? How can they reach you? Uh, the YouTube channel is called The Vision Oracle. And you can also find me on Instagram at I am Craig V. I also have a Patreon and a Venmo Cash App, PayPal kind of situation. If you go online to the YouTube, um, you can see how you can do those links. I'm also on Facebook, Craig V. Miller, um, professional page. So yeah, those are all my things. Craig, this has been fantastic. Is there anything else that you might want to talk about before we go? Oh, yes. I really want to make sure that people can find Dance in the Parks so they can experience and donate. So the website is www.danceintheparks.org. The artistic director is Katie McCann. They can find them on Instagram at Dance in the Parks, Facebook Dance in the Parks, and also on YouTube Dance in the Parks. So consistent. And if you would like to donate, if you go to the website, they have a donate button to help make their first virtual season a success. That's awesome. Well, I'll definitely make sure that's in the show notes. And Craig, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been great having you on. Yeah, it was so great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on today's Shoutbox. Thank you so much to Craig V. Miller for joining us. I will make sure to put links to his tarot readings on YouTube, etc., and his other contact information in the show notes. And also, make sure to check out Dance in the Parks. This idea of taking dance to the people is phenomenal. Definitely a company to support and watch. For today's show, I want to thank Philip Von During for being our audio engineer. You're, you're awesome, Philip. Thank you. Thanks to Sven of Blue Box Studio for our edit. Another one of the phenomenal team members here. Thank you to BAM Studios for being the host of our show. And thank you to Melody Jane Wachtel of This Is A Stick Up for our amazing theme song. For now, be safe, take care of yourself. Black lives matter, trans lives matter, and we love you. Have a great month. Talk to you soon. Hey, 